Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Would you take your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I'm glad Nancy came back tonight after clapping two weeks ago that I shouldn't come back. And she got her all right with the Lord, and praise the Lord for that. I will say, Pastor Ryan, wherever he is, is Ryan Cavan in here tonight? Is he in here? Oh, good youth pastor, all the way in the back row. Uh, always, I've never seen you sit anywhere but the back. Youth camp, I've known you for years, always in the back. Hey, does Ryan Cavan ever sit anywhere but the back? Can somebody help me out? No, I, I, I figured that. Yeah, I know some ungodly pastors, too. So... Uh, it's always great to be. I can't wait to spend a couple days at camp with you, you guys and your teens. We're looking forward to that. It's going to be fantastic. And I uh, look forward to tonight very much. Sad that your pastor's not here. I love he, uh, he and his family dearly. I'm thankful that he's preaching for my good friend Adam Zamora's youth group uh, in the Alpine area, Pine Valley area, uh, in San Diego County. And very thankful uh, for that and for his faithfulness to the Lord and faithfulness to the Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in your Bible. Uh, we are in a series, uh, or not really a series, we're talking about uh, the subject of forgiveness tonight, and I'm talking about fight fair, fighting fair, how to win at conflict without losing at love, how to win at conflict without losing at love. And when, when we did this, when I did this at our church, I had some people say, I don't think you should put boxing gloves up for marriage. And I said, you weren't raised in my house. And so... Um, that's uh, sometimes marriage is, is challenging, and sometimes it can be quite difficult. Uh, if you're honest with it, we, we are often challenged. Um, I was talking to a young couple, a young guy wants to be in ministry in our church, and I was talking to him about marriage and just his marriage and the importance of having a good marriage. And I said, I called him by name and said, hey, how's marriage? He said, almost in a defeatist attitude, he said, Pastor, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. And I said, well, that sounds like you're on good ground. Good. And he looked at me, we're driving in my car, and he looked at me, he's like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah, it's the hardest thing you'll ever do, because it has the potential to be the greatest thing you've ever done. And so there's an attack on us, and there's an attack on you. I just want to set the record straight. Uh, marriage can be very, very difficult. And so we want to learn how to fight well and to fight fair and how to win at conflict without losing at love. And tonight, I want to look at this subject, forgiveness, forgiveness. The truth is there has to be a spirit of forgiveness in your marriage. There really has to be a spirit of forgiveness in your relationships. You can't be a good friend without a spirit of forgiveness. You can't be a good uh, parent without a spirit of forgiveness. You really will struggle to even be a good employee without a spirit of forgiveness. How many of you have ever worked next to somebody who was bitter? And you just kind of feel that bitterness, and it emanates all over them. And, and if you're in an office-type setting, you try to avoid the office of the bitter guy. And when there's meetings that happen, everybody looks as soon as they open their mouth, and they're like, don't get around that person. And it doesn't take long to figure out who the bitter person is. 
I was at the gym today, I do CrossFit, and, and uh, they have like a, uh, a warm-up talk or something, and they were, the coach was going a little bit long, and one of the new members of the gym looked at the coach and goes, it's about time we start working out. And I was standing like right next to her, and I did, I did, this was just my natural reflex. I'm a pastor, I'm not scared. If she wanted to throw, I think I could have held my own for a few minutes until we there were reinforcements. And, I'm, and I just look at her, and I just start moving away from her. Just kind of a cloud of bitterness that hangs on. I want to say this, just as by way of introduction, if there's not a spirit, a ready spirit of forgiveness in your marriage, it's going to really, really struggle. And every fight is going to be massive. And every interaction is going to have the potential to do grave damage to the relationship. The Bible even says this is happening, this happens in the local church. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 32, the Apostle Paul writes, and he says, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Within the local church. We're going to be a people who are regular at forgiving. People often make the strangest of relationship decisions when they make decisions independent of Scripture and determine that they don't have to forgive. Now, I read this story. I'm told that it's true. It's from the 1930s edition of the Chicago Herald Examiner. I'm not sure. Seems pretty outlandish to me, but I'm told that it's true. And the article says, man spites wife by staying blindfolded in bed for seven years. Seven years. I only went two. I, I can't imagine seven. The guy's name was Harry Havens of, of a city in Indiana, and, and uh, he was a man who liked to help around the house, and uh, he liked to wash the dishes, and he liked to do laundry, and he liked to sweep up, and his wife was just really, really nitpicky, and, and she just kept on him and on him and on him, and finally he got bitter and angry, and finally he just kind of blew up at her, and he said, all right. If that's the way you feel, I'm going to bed, and I'm not going to see another person the rest of my life. And according to the story, he stayed in bed with a blindfold on for seven years. He showed her. She probably considered that the best seven years of her life, the year of perfection. After seven years, he said, the bed started getting lumpy, and so I decided to get out. I have a couple questions. How do you stay in bed seven years? Number one. Number two, when do you eat? Number three, there's other questions that we all have. Number four, how in the world did it take seven years for the bed to feel lumpy? Anybody else wonder that? And I don't know if it's a true story or not, but it does illustrate this, that we can often go to crazy extremes when we don't live in a spirit or a place of forgiveness. Forgiveness needs to be quick, forgiveness needs to be clear, and forgiveness needs to be kind. If you're going to fight fair with, and win at conflict without losing at love, I submit you have to have a, a healthy understanding of forgiveness. I, I would say it's absolutely necessary, because here's the reality. Don't be surprised by this. Your spouse is going to offend you. They're going to tick you off. I don't care if you've been married one year or 50 years, they're going to do things that irritate you. They're going to do things that frustrate you. Now, people, after the time I preached two weeks ago, and I told a lot of stories about me and Debbie, people were like, are you really married, and are those stories true? Number one, yes, I'm married. I, I, I met her on the way up here. We got married. Um, 
Number two, the stories are true. And here's the reality. The things about me that irritated Debbie 29 years ago still irritate her. Don't say amen. No, you can, not her. Uh, the, thing, the things that irritate me about her have been irritating me about her for 29 years. Ever since we started dating, you say, Have you, haven't you got over it? I'm not going to get over it. I just accepted the fact that I'm not going to get over it. I'm going to be a good enough Christian to be honest with the reality that there's stuff she does that just ticks me off. Am I the only one in the room? Now remember, the, the less you laugh, the longer we go. And Tiffany told me what time I had to be done, because she said, our church doesn't believe in male leadership. I'm in charge here. <laughs> He said, if Ryan's gone tonight, you have a time. And we were joking around, obviously. But laugh um, is, the, is the whole point. Debbie does stuff that irritates me to death. And I do stuff that irritates her to death. Why? Because we're two sinners living in the same house in a spiritual battle where Satan is the enemy and he wants to steal our joy, destroy our marriage, and kill our love. Don't be surprised by that. You're a believer. What did you expect? If you know Christ, you know that there is an enemy that walks about as a roaring lion seeking whose marriage he may devour. Because he really wants to ruin your marriage. How many of you have been in a church, and don't raise your hand, but how many of you have been in a church and you saw that couple who was that strong, and you thought they were the couple of example, they were exemplary in every level, and then come to find out he had been having an affair, she had been emotionally distant, and they just show up at church, or you hear through somebody at church one day that they're getting a divorce. Can I submit to you the reason for that has probably multifaceted, but at the foundational level with that, in my 30 years of experience in ministry is this, an unwillingness to forgive. I'm just letting you think about the stuff you won't forgive. I've got lots of notes and lots of things to say. But an unwillingness to forgive is destructive on every level. It's unchristian on every level, and it's sinful on every level. So tonight we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13, a passage, if you've been in church very long, you probably know, and if you live in the South and, you, and you've been to, you know, Michael's or you've been to uh, one of those other decorating stores, Hobby Lobby, you've seen 1 Corinthians 13, the greatest of these is love, it's all over the place, and, and, and you see it. But I really want to jump into it from the perspective of forgiveness tonight and see what love does when it comes to the subject of forgiveness. And I want you to notice firstly tonight, there's, we're going to look at four things. I want you to notice firstly tonight that when I forgive you based on the Scripture, I am promising you I will not dwell on the event. I promise you I will not dwell on the event. Look at verse number 4, 1 Corinthians 13. Charity suffereth long and is kind. The word suffereth long simply means that love is patient or it's slow to anger. It enables us to put up with, here's the technical definition, all that is distasteful in others. It enables us to put up with 
all that is distasteful in others. Charity suffereth long, and it's kind. The word kind is exactly what you would think it to be, kind. It's, it's obliging. It's tender. It's, it's willing to help. It's, it's willing to assist. It suffers long, and it's willing to assist. It's imperative that we understand that I, when I say I love you, and when I say I forgive you, and, and by the way, this is really challenging for some of us, putting myself in that category. If you're a human, this is challenging for you. I suffer long. I'm not going to dwell on the event. In other words, love doesn't dwell on conflict. Love dwells on the resolution. Love doesn't dwell on the conflict. Love dwells on the resolution. Love is excited about the result. How many of you ever been in a fight? When I say fight, I don't mean like fist fight or any physical abuse. When I say fight, let me be very, very clear. We take a strong, strong stand against any kind of abuse by either spouse. Should never, ever in a million years be physical. And if you're a dude, you would never touch a woman to begin with. And, and you, just, you just duck and run. You say, what do you do when Debbie swings at you? Well, she's from Bakersfield, doesn't know how to fight, so I'm good. But, but I mean, we, it never gets physical. When I say fight, it might be a word you use for conflict or argument. But in the middle of conflict, we often get so passionate about the argument that we forget any reason we're even arguing. I just want to win this. I just want to prove my point. I, I've, I've been in the middle of an argument with my wife, and we both, because we're both sinners, have switched our position to the other person's position, and we're still arguing. She took my original position, I took her original position, and now we're arguing with each other about it to the point where we don't want to be in the presence of one another. Why? Because we're more interested in the conflict than the resolution. We both proved our points well enough to win, the, 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 whatever it was, but we didn't back down, and we're agreeing, but we're agreeing now on different perspectives, and we're still fighting. That's why love says with great clarity, I will not dwell on the event. Somebody might say, well, pastor, I, I struggle. I keep thinking about the fight, the hurt, the offense. I know. You're going to have to ask God for grace to get over that. You're going to have to ask God for help and victory to stop thinking about that. You may have to forgive them multiple times a day, but you can't keep reliving the hurt. You can't allow yourself to dwell on it. That will devastate the relationship. It'll devastate it. I remember sitting in my counseling office with a couple, and the spouse was exacerbated. They were both exacerbated, exasperated. They were just, they were just done. I was a younger pastor because I'd, I'd probably been pastoring about 12 years at the time. And, and I looked at him and I'm like, well, can somebody tell me what the issue is? 
don't know if you ever talked to somebody that's ticked off the whole world, but I mean, they've just got like 50,000 issues, and you bring up, they bring up one, and then the other, and then the other, and then the other, and it's just kind of a spaghetti, and like everything in the world irritates him. I don't like his smell. Does he smell bad? No, I hate the cologne he uses. I don't like her shoes. Oh, are they bad? No, I hate the color. I mean, it just, it just gets nonsensical. You've been there. You know what I'm talking about. It gets ridiculous. And so I'm like, whoa, can we stop for a minute? I need to figure out what we're really dealing with in this situation. Because I can't provide help if I'm trying to help you figure out should you eat spaghetti with a spoon and a fork or just a fork. Who cares? That's not a big issue. And I don't think that is the issue. And the lady goes just like this. She goes, oh, you want to know? I go, yeah. She pulled out her notebook. I can tell you. And she went to page one. It was one of those like big spiral bound notebooks. And you know how you could tell they've all been written on and they've all been cried over and the pages were all like stiff and crinkly. She goes, and she listed a date from about five years prior on such and such date. She had three pages about an offense. I, I said, don't read it. Just tell me what it is. She told me. And then we went to the, and over a five year period, she had a 360 page notebook of every, or pages of paper, uh, Uh, of every grievance her husband had ever done. And he goes, see, with that I can never win. She goes, you have a better memory than me. And I looked at both of them and I'm like, this is over my head. Join a different church. (laughs) Really didn't know what to do. I love how author Anne Lamont on forgiveness said this. Forgiveness means it finally has become unimportant that you hit back. It's unimportant that you hit back. Clara Barton was once reminded of a very strong offense someone had done to her. But she acted as if she'd never even heard of the incident. And one of her friends was looking at her and goes, Clara, come on, don't you remember what they said about you? And she made this statement, it's so powerful. She goes, nope, I distinctly remember forgetting it. I distinctly remember forgetting it. Forgiveness says, charity suffereth long. I will not dwell on the event. The event's not going to be the focus of my life. That's not how it's going to be. Forgiveness says, verse number four, charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. I promise you, number two, not to allow this event to stand between us or hinder our relationship. I won't allow this event to come between us or hinder our relationship. Envy, envieth, is that sullen feeling of disappointment when another person's success or prosperity surpasses our own. Love enables us to be happy when others are blessed. I've seen spouses, wives and husbands, husbands and wives, get angry and bitter because their spouse got a promotion and they didn't. I've seen them get bitter because they got to see a family member and the other one didn't. 
I've seen them get bitter because something that they wanted was given to them and the other spouse didn't. Charity doesn't envy. Matter of fact, charity does the exact opposite. Charity says, you're blessed, and your blessing is my blessing. Charity also says, your hurt is my hurt. Whatever it is you're going through, the Bible says, weep with them that weep, rejoice with them that rejoice. Whatever it is that you're going through, I'm going through this with you. I'm not leaving you alone. It's not like you're out with a life preserver in the middle of the ocean, and I'm in a rowboat going, I won't let you sink. No, no. It's I'm coming to you, and we're going to enjoy this rowboat together. This, this rowboat might go down, but we're going down together. Then we're in a ring, and well, because I weigh more, see ya. Charity envieth not. Charity is not looking to get back when offended, even though I think you advanced on the back of my hurt. Charity is, love is very, very clear that I'm not going to allow this event where you, in my perception, you hurt me to stand between us, nor is it going to hinder our relationship. You know, in relationships, no matter the relationship, friendship, marriage, doesn't matter, business, church, doesn't matter, because we see things at times differently, even though we're all trying to do the right thing, you might come to a different conclusion than your spouse does. You might have a different opinion than your spouse does. And can I be candid with you? That's okay. Men, it's okay for your wife to have a different opinion than you. Ladies, it's okay for your husband to have a different opinion than you. You can even, even have a, 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 a challenging disagreement without it turning into conflict, though there is conflict involved in that. It doesn't have to ever become personal with one another. I'm not going to allow this difference to stand between us. I'm not going to allow this, pro- this problem to stand between us or hinder our relationship. I'm not envying you. You, I'm not angry with you. And here's the other thought here. It is not puffed. It vaunteth not itself. Vaunteth means to put itself on display. It, it's to, to look for the applause of man, to think too highly of itself, to elevate it above the other, to become haughty. No, love humbly says, hey, we can have a difference of opinion on this. Some of you, if you're like me, I'm kind of a type A driven, good arguer, good memory. Um, there's few things I don't remember. And when I get in that mode, how many of you know what the prosecutor mode is? We all have an inner defense attorney. Some of us have an inner prosecutor and defense attorney. And some of us just think we're the whole Supreme Court. That's probably me at times. And my wife would agree with that. But we have that inner prosecutor. When I'm in that inner prosecutor mode, I I honestly can have an argument and things just come back to me like clockwork. And I'm not normally always wrong on those things. And I can win an argument. I'm type A on the Myers-Briggs test. I'm an ENTJ, which is the commander. I literally think everybody should do what I tell them. I don't know why that is. I kind of wish I had a nicer personality. I've prayed for it, but God told me I, Debbie's stuck with what she's stuck with. And, and I, uh, I, I sometimes I think that here's what charity does, love does. In humility, I'm going to pull that back. 
I'm not going to win the argument because I have a stronger personality than my spouse. And that can go to men or ladies, either one. I'm not going to win this argument just simply because I'm a better talker than you. I'm not going to win this argument because I remember every aspect of the offense that happened nine years ago when we were at Knott's Berry Farm together. And you ate three quarters of the funnel cake I'd been looking forward to, and I just haven't ever got over that. It vaunteth not itself. No, it intentionally, here's what vaunting means, it it intentionally pulls itself back. If this word will help you, it's a similar root word to the idea of vaulting oneself up, of putting oneself in a new position. No, no, I will pull back, I will restrain myself because my love for you is more important than winning this argument. I might not agree with you, but I'm not going to win by the sheer force of personality. I'm not going to win, listen to me, because I can sulk my way to the win. I've dealt with so, in so many marriages where the husband goes, I just let her win because it's just not worth watching her mope around the house for four or five days and not cook a meal, and not care for the kids, and she just gets ticked off at the whole world, and everybody just is at the beck and call. I mean, if mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, so my whole rule in life is just to keep her happy. By the way, ladies, that's one of the most ungodly, self-centered, humanistic ideas in the history of mankind. My happiness is dependent, and our family's happiness is dependent on your happiness? Man, that's antithetical to the Scripture. Jesus said, look not every man on his own thing, but every man also on the things of others. Jesus said, let this mind be in you, which the Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, meaning he's equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Love says, I love you enough that I will not let this stand between us or hinder our relationship. Paul said, I beseech you, brethren, in 1 Corinthians 1.10, talking to the church at Corinth, by the name of our Lord Jesus, that you speak the same thing, and there be no division among you, but you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Though he's talking to the church, that is the obvious expectation for the family, that you'd be the same mind that you'd have the same judgment. In truth, love breaks down walls. It breaks down walls. It does not build them up. It does not say, I'm not going to lose. No, it does not vaunt itself. Charity not only will not allow this event to stand between us or hinder our relationship, look at verse number five, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Love says this, I am promising you I will not bring the incident up and use it against you. I won't bring this up and I won't use it against you. It does not behave itself unseemly. Unseemly means to be ugly, to be indecent, to be rude. It seeks not her own. Love, love isn't selfish. Love doesn't insist on its own way, but constantly insists on seeking the well-being of others. 
I, I'm not going to bring I'm not going to bring this up against you, even if I was right to do so. Now we're not talking something major moral here. We're not talking like infidelity that needs to be dealt with and confronted in sin. That's not what happens in most marriages. Most marriages that break down, break down because we just get irritated over little things. But in fact, it's the book of Ecclesiastes that says it's the foxes, the little foxes that destroy the vines. These little things, they just come in and they begin to accumulate and they begin to cause problems and they begin to destroy and before long everything that you have built is lost. Here's what love says, I'm not going to bring this up and use it against you. John Clark Junker is how we would say it in American English. The former European Commission president revealed that in, in an interview that he kept a book with him for people who crossed him in the past. It was called Little Maurice. And when he was the president, he, he, was, he was the most senior official at the EU. And he walks around with this book called Maurice. And when he was the president uh, of Austria, he would write people's name down and he kept that going. And for 30 years, he wrote that down. And when he was in a political meeting with somebody and they were going back and forth and arguing back and forth, he would say to them, be very careful. You don't want Little Maurice to come looking for you. You do something I don't like, I will never forget it. That's gross, unchristlike manipulation. That's gross, unchristlike callousness. That's the spirit, if, if I could be so bold as to say this, of the Antichrist. It's everything different than Jesus. Jesus says, I know that you offended me. I know that you attacked me. Here's God in the book of Romans. The natural man receiveth not the things of God. They are foolishness to him. There's enmity in the mind of the unsaved person. They have a hatred towards God. The Bible teaches us in Romans chapter 3 that we are the enemy of God. There's none that doeth good. There's none that seeketh after God. They've all gone after their own way. Uh, there's none that turns to God. We are, we are in gross opposition to God. But he Here's the story of forgiveness, and here's the story of the gospel. Jesus says, even though that's your natural state, I forgive you, and I'm not going to bring your past sins up. As a matter of fact, your past sins are washed in the blood of the Lamb. They are forgiven. They're never to be brought up again. I can't remember them. And God says this in the book of Isaiah, your sins and iniquities I will remember no more. And he talks about in Isaiah chapter 44, that he forgives our sins for his own sake. Here's the God idea of forgiveness. I am not bringing this up ever again. I've forgiven you. It's a one-time act, and it needs not to be brought up again because I cannot remember it because the blood of Jesus Christ has covered it. She's not bringing it up. How many of you are thankful for that? How I many you can remember your pre-salvation days or your post-salvation backslidden days, and you've done some things? I used to wear MC Hammer pants. I was the best dancer in eastern Washington. It was a low bar. 
but you can't touch Chris. I'm too legit to quit. That's right. And I had ice everywhere I went, baby. <laughs> and some of you are like, oh, that's when music was music. And America was great. I mean, we have some things in our past we're really thankful for forgiveness. There's some sins that we've committed that we're like, oh, dude, I cannot believe I did that. You ever woke up in the, in the middle of the night going, why did I do that? How many of you ever been there? Anybody? Okay. If you haven't done that, either you've never woken up at night or you're not being honest right now. Like, oh, I can't believe, why did I say that? Somebody asked me one time, they thought they were being fun. They're like, Pastor, what's it like to go home Sunday night after church? After the day is done and people have been saved and things have happened, what's it like? I said, it's depressing. They said, why? Because I remember everything that I said. And they're like, well, well, you've said good stuff. Oh, I said good stuff. Yes, I did. And I said some of the dumbest things that have ever come out of the mouth of a human being. And they're like, oh, that's true too. <laughs> Thanks for the encouragement. Thanks a lot. No, here's, here's what I'm promising you. I'm not going to bring this incident up, and I'm not going to use it against you. Hebrews chapter 8, verse number 12, the Lord says, I'll be merciful unto their, uh, to their unrighteousness and their sins and iniquities I'm going to remember no more. I'm thankful that when Jesus forgives, he forgives completely. Shouldn't you? See, conflict will be easily dealt with when you know that when it's over, it's over. But if it's never over, it's never going to be dealt with. It's really never going to be talked about. And it's just going to sit under the rug. And it's going to rob us of joy. It's going to rob us of peace. It's going to rob us of fulfillment. It's going to rob, rob us of purpose. It's going to rob us of pleasure. It's going to rob us in a marriage of intimacy, of emotional intimacy, of spiritual intimacy, of sexual intimacy. It's going to rob us of everything that marriage is supposed to be because uh, when are they going to bring this back up? And I preach to you as somebody who really struggles with that. I preach to you as somebody who has a PhD in bringing up bad stuff. Let me say this. You say, you haven't figured it out? I haven't figured it out. I try to do better every day. I'm trying to be sensitive to the Spirit of God. I'm reading books. I'm listening to sermons. I don't even preach on the subject. But, but the reality is we still struggle. And, and, and can I be super candid with you? It's the thing I'm going to struggle with for the rest of my life. Why? Because I know me. So God's given me a gracious wife. And yet, there's times when she'll say to me, and, and, and if you're not that person in the relationship, this is a good thing to say. Are you going to keep bringing that up every single time we have a discussion about anything? And if you're the jerk, if you're the Chris, you just have to take that. You just have to accept that. Because you win at love in the middle of conflict, by there being this fundamental understanding, I'm not going to bring this up and use it against you to make you feel like garbage. 
I'm not going to bring this up so that I win and you lose. I'm not going to bring this up so I'm the victor and you're the chump. I'm not looking to be the champ. I'm looking for us to have harmony. I'm looking for us to have intimacy. I'm looking for us to have connection. Number four, and I'll be done. I promise you, the fourth thing love says, I promise you I will not talk to another about the incident unless it's an agreed upon pastor or counselor. The Bible says this, verse 7, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Beareth all things. It, It passes over in silence, and it keeps confidential all that is repugnant in others. Believeth all things. It's always ready to see the best in others and to give them the benefit of the doubt. Hopeth all things. It's persistence in believing that something good is going to happen in the future. I'm never going to give up on them. Hopeth all things. Endureth all things. It has a a, a steadfast fortitude. It refuses to be conquered and dismayed. Beareth all things. I'm just going to keep this confidential. Oh, I might take it to a pastor. When you, your church got some good pastors. You could take it to one of them. If it's agreed upon, I'm going to take them. And by the way, you're foolish not to agree to something like that. You'll never get over what you don't get out. Let me say it again. You'll never get over what you don't get out. If you're here tonight and you're like, I don't let my wife, I don't let my husband talk to anybody about our problems. That is potentially the dumbest and most destructive thing you could ever do. You need a godly counselor in your life, primarily your pastor. If it's above his pay grade, he'll tell you or he'll encourage you to get some counsel outside of him. But you should start there. He'll keep it super confidential. And and you're telling your spouse, I'm not going to anyone, but let me stop and say there is a tremendous amount of help that you can get and hope that you can find in talking to a spiritual counselor who loves you, and it's probably not your best friend, and I guarantee you it's not your mom. Well, but my mom's a godly lady. She's probably not a godly lady when it comes to you. She probably sees it from your position. She probably wants to defend you. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying that's reality. And so I'm not going to talk to anybody about my struggles with my wife who could ever look negatively on her. I'm not talking to anybody else about this. I'm going to bear that. And if I have to unburden myself, I'm going to unburden myself by talking to a godly counselor that is already agreed upon when we're not fighting. Now, we agree on this in the good times. We agree on this right in the middle of vacation. One of those vacations without kids. Todd, it's going to be a while. It's going to be a while. It's going to be a while. <laughs> man, I'm just thinking about how fun it is to go on vacation without my kids. Some people are like, man, we miss taking our kids on vacation. You had better kids or you smoked pot. I don't know what to tell you. 
Man, we love Jesus. We read the Bible. We did all that stuff. And man, when my kids couldn't go on vacation, man, that was revival in my family. They're like, Dad, I don't think I can, I can get off. Maybe you could talk to our boss, because I was the boss. They worked for us at the, at the daycare that we started. I'm like, yeah, no, sorry, kid. You can't go. It's just me and Mom. They're like, man, we really want to go. I'm like, yeah, we really want to have you. Why can't I go? We, we just need you here. And they're like, really? Oh, oh, yeah. You say, were you lying? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I figured I got to stand up something before the Lord, so it might as well be that. No, I'm kidding. We really didn't need them, but it was such a, it's such a joy. But you know, you agree on it during that time, during the good times. Who can I talk to? Okay, I can talk to a pastor or somebody that he recommends. And if, if it's beyond him, I can talk to a counselor and I can talk to them. My wife has some godly pastor's wives in her life that she can talk to. And you say, does she talk to them? Only when I irritate her, does she talk to them? And, and, and I want that. I can bear all things. I'm going to bear everything that I can. And I'm not spreading your, your gospel your weakness, your struggles around my family. I'm not spreading your gossip, your weakness, your struggles around my friends. I'm not spreading your faults around the children. The kids will never know your struggles. Oh, amen. I'm not waiting for you to do it. I'm saying it. This, I'm not asking you to do it. I'm just going to tell you that that's the right thing to do. The kids will never hear your story. Oh, your dad is such a workaholic. I can't believe it. He's not home. Or you could say, your dad is such a great provider. I'm so thankful that he takes care of us. I mean, we live in Newport Beach. It's the richest place on planet Earth. People from San Diego drive by here and go, wow, what's it like to live there? Um, I'm teasing a little bit. We wouldn't want to leave San Diego. It's our ghetto. Um, and you're like, I haven't, I've been to San Diego, I haven't seen a ghetto. There's not one. And not, not bad, only where Jay grew up. Um, <laughs> it really is. <laughs> It's like I have flak jackets because I'm a chaplain with the police. I wear two when I go to his old neighborhood. And so, um, but um, I, I'm not sharing this information with anybody. I'm bearing all things. I'm believing all things. Here's what it means. I believe the best about you, and I believe your intent was good. And it would be really hard for me to believe that you would ever do something wrong. I know you could do it because we're all sinners, but I'm, I'm really going to have to be shown that you could do something wrong. Like if you came to me today and you said, hey, Chris, I just want you to know that Pastor Thompson is stealing money from the church and uh, he and Tiffany, they're driving, you know, Ferraris and they, they're living in Laguna Beach overlooking the ocean and they stole all the money from the church. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not going to believe that. I'm not saying that anyone's above any sin. Don't get me wrong. You would have to prove that to me, though. I'm not foolish and blind, but you just have to prove that to me. I, I, I'm not going to believe it just because somebody tells me. I believe all things. If you came to me and said, hey, I saw your wife flirting with another man, I'd never believe it. Well, look at this. <laughs> Come on. Now, I'm totally kidding there, but I wouldn't believe that. 
Again, I'm not going to be blind to the fact if, if evidence is shown, but I'm just not believing some silly thing that is, that is thrown out there. Oh, I don't think he cares about you anymore. If you have a friend that, that is trying to divide you from your spouse, you need to drop that quote friend in a heartbeat and run back to the relationship that God has given you that's supposed to be a lifelong love-filled relationship. Beareth all things and hopes all things. In the middle of difficulty and challenge, it looks for a better day and it expects a better day. That's what it means. We have a lady in our church whose husband was a very successful um, financier on Wall Street. Very, very successful. He's unsaved and through a series of events, he made some really unwise decisions and over a period of five weeks, he and his partners defrauded people out of a lot of money. And today he's in prison. He'll, he'll be out shortly. We look forward to that day. But as we talk to her, and she's a newer believer because she loves him. She's like, just looking forward to him getting home. Pastor, things are going to get better. Because we always ask, hey, how are you doing? Are you doing okay? Do you need anything? Do you need anybody to talk to? What's going on? And we just try to process. She's got some great friends at church. But she's just hoping for a better day. I saw a very prominent family in our state, a prominent pastor and his wife. The pastor had made some really poor moral decisions, and, and uh, not this state, but a distant state. And, and uh, the marriage was on the rocks. And I remember talking to the pastor's wife one day and, and uh, just saying, hey, how are things going? And this is what she said. She said, I love him, and I'm looking forward to a better day. That's what hope with all things is. See, just because you're fighting because you like hot peppers in your spaghetti sauce and he doesn't, that's not the end of the world. Well, I like cheesesteak and he likes bologna, so I don't know if this is going to work out after all. And listen, most of the times when I hear people talk like that, like, like the end of it all type conversations, that's almost always what it is. It's something really insignificant. It's normally a straw that broke the camel's back, but it's, it's something insignificant. What happened? They really lost hope in the relationship. Love hopeth all things. So I'm not going to talk to others about you because I expect you to do better and I don't want to talk trash to them because they're not going to see the improvement that I'm going to see. So I'm just going to keep quiet. I'm not talking about you to anyone other than to a counselor or a pastor who can help me through this. And and I'm just going to believe the best about you. And I'm going to believe the best about you for the rest of my life. And when I can't believe the best, I'm just going to endure all things. Steadfast fortitude. It refuses to be conquered. It refuses to be dismayed. If you're going to fight fair, you're going to promise that you're not going to dwell on the event. This fight's not the end, this this argument, this conflict. It's not the end of the story. I promise I'm not going to allow this event to stand between us or hinder our relationship. I'm still going to sleep in the same bed as you. I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to kiss you in the morning. I'm still going to kiss you at night. I'm still going to hold you. I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to talk to you. We're still going to be friends. This isn't ruining our relationship. I'm not going to bring this incident up and use against you. That one's the hard one for me. I'm not going to bring this up 
up and use it against you somewhere down the road. When it's over, it's over. It's dead. It's done. It's finished. It's final. We're not bringing this back up. It's just done. It's, it's an event that's done. And I'm not going to tell other people about this incident unless I'm seeking counsel from an agreed upon counselor. I'm just not going to do it. We're finished. We're, we're, this is over. I'm not telling the whole world about it. If you'll follow God's plan for conflict and, and how to win at conflict without losing at love, can I just tell you, it'll change your marriages. And if it changes your marriage, it'll change your family. Because the greatest gift you'll ever give to your children is your children knowing that mom and dad passionately love each other and nothing's coming between that. They're not coming between us. And he said, who's the most important person in your world? Debbie. What about your kids? Yeah, they're, they're down there. And I got a new puppy. Now, I love my daughters immensely. I love them immensely. Talked to one of them today. Probably talked to the other one on the way home tonight. Uh, she lives in Hawaii. And, and uh, I, I love them immensely. But this is my God-called and God-commanded and God-ordained relationship that I have to keep for the rest of my life. And I want to win at conflict without losing at love. And my prayer is that you will too. That's my prayer. And that we'll leave tonight going, okay, I got a tool, I got a reminder, I got some help, but I'm closer now than I was, and my marriage can be a little stronger if I'll stop talking trash about my husband. If I'll stop expecting them to be perfect. If I'll stop bringing these things up all the time. I'm not going to do that by the grace of God. And I may have to ask God for grace a hundred times a day. But the greatest life lived is a life of passionate joy with your spouse and my, or even your friends. And my prayer for you is that our brief study tonight in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 will be a blessing to you and your family for an extended period of time. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.